Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Megan Doherty and myself are back for another season of Picard. In this series, it's Picard Season 3, which will be the final season of this great television series. In this series, we will go through each episode, detailing the synopsis, taking a look at some of our favorite scenes and discussing general themes and looking at key Easter eggs. I know you'll enjoy because that's what heroes do, Picard Season 3. Episode 10, The Last Generation. In this final episode of Picard Season 3, Picard and the Enterprise crew find the Borg cube hiding in the clouds of Jupiter. Seven of Nine liberates the Titan from the assimilated crew and engages the fleet. Worf and Riker infiltrate the cube while Picard plugs into the mind into the hive mind to rescue Jack from the Queen's influence. The Queen reveals that after Catherine Janeway's pathogen attack decimated the Borg, the remains or remnants of the collective struck a deal with rogue changelings to destroy the Federation from the inside. She also reveals her intent to use the newly assimilated Starfleet youth to breed a new generation aboard, which will annihilate all other life. The assimilated fleet disables the Titan, destroys Earth's planetary shields, and starts targeting major cities on our home planet. The Enterprise locates the beacon broadcasting Jack's command signal and destroys it, causing a chain reaction while Picard succeeds in freeing Jack from the Queen. The Enterprise beams up Worf, Picard, Riker, and Jack and escapes the exploding cube. The Borg ship and the Borg Queen are destroyed, and the assimilated Starfleet personnel return to normal. In the aftermath, Picard and the others receive full pardons, while the Enterprise D is returned to the Fleet Museum. Crusher modifies the transporters to remove the Borg DNA and expose the remaining changelings infiltrators. On Shaw's posthumous recommendation, Tuvok promotes Seven of Nine to the rank of captain. One year later, the Enterprise crew reminisce over drinks and a game of poker. The Titan is rechristened, Christian, the Enterprise G, now captained by Seven of Nine with Raffi as her first officer and Jack, a Starfleet ensign, as the captain's special counselor. Jack receives a visit from Q, who says Jack's trial has only begun. And now, Megan Doherty. Well, Megan, we're to the end. Where do you want to start with episode 10? Uh, I guess let's start at the beginning of the end (laughs) and work our way forward. Where we left off, of course, the Enterprise was on its way to the Borg Cube while Seven and Rafi and some of the remaining crew were trying to wrest the control of the Titan back from the Borg fleet. So what were some of your favorite parts from, from the first act, let's say? We ended episode nine talking about the Enterprise E, and I'm going to start by talking about the Enterprise D. It was just cool, to, so cool to see that. It was so cool to see them going after the cube, recognizing what they were up against, yet 
the Borg do have certain deficiencies and defects, particularly the drones. And they're, they adapt very well, but sometimes you can sneak in a first punch or a first shot or a first something before they adapt. And if you can execute your plan before they can adapt and communicate that throughout the hive, sometimes you can succeed. So I figured it would be something along those lines. Of course, we've got data battle speed now. And in, I think it was episode eight, he was able to reincorporate all of the versions into this current version. And so he is the most powerful synthetic human version that we have seen. And he uses that to the full and he feels, and he He loves feeling. He's not overwhelmed by them as he was. I think it was in the first movie generations where they Mm -hmm. put the emotion chip in him and he was literally overwhelmed with emotions. Uh, So we've got data. We've got them chasing the board, got them catching the board and they go aboard the cube. So what about yourself? Let's see. There was a lot I liked about it. So I think one of the scenes at the beginning that really got me was on the Titan and everything that's happening felt so personal for Seven. Or I perceived it as so personal for Seven. This is the Borg. They came back into her house. <laughs> and they took her crew and her ship. And she was absolutely not going to stand for it. And I think the way they retook the bridge was such great science. Like being able to shoot little transporter beams. I can't believe no one had thought of portable beam-me-ups before. But uh, what great technology. It was wonderful to see them retaking the bridge. And another thing I really liked about that scene was the addition of just normal people who populate a starship. Like it was really cool to see the cook from one of these ships put into a position that he never thought he'd have to be in. But it was nice to kind of see the normal character rather than a really ready trained Starfleet officer. This is the cook and he's here. And then her speech was very rousing. It was a good first captain speech. It was. It was. As I recall, they either find Jack on the cube through his beacon or they destroy the beacon and that leads them to finding him. But they're able to find Jack on the cube, rest him from the mind control of the queen and get him back to the Enterprise, of course, in the nick of time. Yeah, and I thought what we were being able to hear from Jack when he was speaking, when he was the Vox, when he was Vox, the kind of Borg statement was different than it had been in previous iterations. So, you know, speak your biological and technological distinctiveness will be added to our own on and on. But this was a lot more humane. What Jack was saying, I thought that was really interesting because your biological and technological distinctiveness will contribute to the whole. Your culture will evolve to serve the future. Peace and prosperity, there'll be a universe without fear or loss. The diseases of the past were gone. Like, I thought that was really interesting as a change. And then there was the conversation with the Borg Queen about how the Borg is now evolving. And instead of trying to bring people under their control, they're just going to completely wipe them out and replace them. But with this really quite beautiful idea of a future of peace and prosperity. Very interesting choices, I thought. That really was. And at that point, I began to wonder, is there some Gerardi going on here that I haven't seen or known or haven't seen? Because I thought, as I said in the last episode, that the Gerardi Queen Borg was a different timeline. But you're absolutely right. That was very different. It was the Picard in Jack. And it was the human. Yes. And then the evolution of the Borg. I don't... Season one, where we saw Hugh, it was clearly a different Borg. They had been defeated. They'd been defeated by a biological weapon. We'd essentially engaged in genocide. 
now they were hunted, not because of a racial hatred or a, what would you call it? Being hatred, but for to harvest their organs because they were synthetic and had synthetic parts. That, I guess you could call that an evolution. It's not an evolution that evolves over time naturally. Here, you're absolutely right. Something else was going on. Yeah. And I had to discard the Gerardi part because I really firmly believe that's a different timeline. Very sensible, I think. But it made me wonder, did the queen see something a different way to take over because I'm firmly convinced she's all about the power. And did she see a way to one spin the takeover, as you said, with some very different language, but essentially saying we're going to annihilate. Annihilate. Yeah. Again, Dr. Who reference. Thank you. But, and maybe it was because they had that connection with the collective, with the changelings. And they're like, okay, now we've got two points of evidence that independent solid beings will use genocide. Therefore, they should not be in the universe anymore. Not a super unreasonable standpoint, to be completely honest. That's- <laughs> so that, that brings up something I really did want wonder about and wanted to explore with you. What did the Borg garner from the changelings? Because I don't think the Borg assimilated the changelings. No. Did they take changeling either physiology culture or maybe that's the culture of the changeling because i think even back to deep space nine they use the language of peace prosperity serve us not destroy us we won't allow war or other conflicts between our peoples that sort of thing but i really wondered what did the changelings bring to the board table, not simply the ability to attack the Federation in the manner they did. I think it was really the, it was access because the Borg didn't have the strength to do anything. They weren't able to effect their assimilation without having that kind of access, without having people getting the transpond, like the transporters ready to do that assimilation. So I think maybe an alliance of convenience and maybe also just the idea is if changelings and Borg are not kind of assimilation compatible. If you get rid of all of the other races in the universe, there's probably enough space for the both of them. <laughs> and they are of more like cultures, that collectivism. Maybe they've thought that they could just be the only two. Communism bad, individualism good. <laughs> Hammer it a little harder, why don't you? <laughs> but... So what did other questions come up for you? Oh, let's see. What have I got here? One about being in the board, the moment when Picard joined Jack in the collective, when he re-entered the collective to try and connect with his son. And they were in it's like a middle middle zone. They were both in their bodies. They were able to talk. They were using I pronouns rather than we. And it made me wonder if that was actually more like what the interior life of the Borg was or could be rather than being completely subsumed to the collective. Maybe there was within the exterior collective internal individuality. And I don't know if there's enough evidence to really back that up, but it made me think about it. I guess I thought that they had not been fully assimilated yet. That could very much be a bad, kind of dug the idea, especially yeah. because, you know, Jack did go for it. Maybe it's because he thought it would be something better, or maybe he could even help manipulate it into being something better. Right. But yeah, I thought that was, was pretty interesting. You were really looking and listening to the language of these episodes. <laughs> I really was. <laughs> I really enjoyed this season. <laughs> they get Jack off. 
they are able to defeat uh, the rest of Starfleet because they're not connected because, of course, they're in the Enterprise-D. And then we go a year later. And then so, they just give all of the viewers lots of little presents <laughs> and send us on our way. <laughs> so I assume you had some feelings about Seven of Nine being promoted to the captain's chair. I did. I love the idea that Starfleet actually did go and give a thief, a pirate, and a spy their own ship. That was pretty awesome. The last thing I had written down here is they did not deny us Seven's catchphrase. <laughs> Dare they? So I feel a way about that. Yeah, I still like her better as a ranger. I still like her better as an outsider. She was good um, as a ranger. I'm going to have to see her within the structure of being a Starfleet officer. Although I know she did that in Voyager as she was evolving back to being some <laughs> other, just a Borg drone. But I just I hate seeing her constrained. And maybe as the captain, she won't be constrained. I don't. I think she'll be like a Picard-style captain or a Janeway-style captain. Everyone in Starfleet, like admin, knows who she is. They gave her a ship anyway. Whatever wow. happens next is on them. <laughs> I think. I think she's going to go her own way, and and will definitely be more of the asking of forgiveness than permission. Okay, Raffi as first officer. I thought Raffi's wrap up was really sweet. How did Worf leak that data so that she could reconnect with her family? That was so great. What a classy move. And I think, yeah, as first off, it was, I found it hard to track what Rafi's role through Starfleet had been over the course of these three, three seasons, but glad to see her kind of back in the light a little more rather than doing this deep undercover work, which seemed to be really hard on her. And maybe that means there can actually be some genuine relationship building in future seasons, which I expect. She was in, I think we learned in season one, she had been first officer under Picard, I think. Oh. And something had happened that just destroyed her emotionally. And she went down a, definitely a path of self-destruction that Picard and then the rest of the crew brought her out of. So she had been an officer before, but you're right. She had been sent to some very dark places, both professionally and emotionally. Yeah. And, but she was back on the bridge and that, of course, takes us to Jack. I think a little nepotism might have been involved. <laughs> I think you may be right. Just a um, tad. <laughs> but what interested me the most about that was Seven trusts him. And that was the dynamic I saw. That I almost felt like she said, I want him on my bridge. I don't know if you I got that sense or not. You know what? I hadn't when I was watching, but now because it, it had been a little bit like, why is this configuration the way it is? But I think that you're exactly onto it. I bet she requested him because unlike almost more than anyone else, basically in the Federation, he gets it. He'll always get it. I bet that'll mean they'll work really effectively together. And now Jack you has just, an extra mom. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> you just said something I have to disagree with, which mm -hmm. is he gets it better than anyone else. No, you didn't. You said anyone else in the Federation. There's actually somebody else who gets it better than him, and he shows up at the end. Fair point. How, Fair how point. cool was that? I thought that was great. You think so linearly. <laughs> Excuse me, Q. Uh, that was just brilliant. Absolutely mm -hmm. brilliant. I know we thought we lost Q at the end of season two, but really, immortal beings, come on, guys. They don't die. This is Star Trek. Nobody really dies. 
It's like the X-Files. Nobody ever really dies in the X-Files. <laughs> and here, and to end that way with, what would you say that was 60 seconds, 30 seconds of dialogue? Oh, 30 seconds, if that, yeah, it was. So your adventure is, your trial has just begun. Yeah, and I think like, they, the, they did such a good job of closing the door on the old generation. They left them happy. They left them together. They left them fulfilled, but they left them. Exactly, I think the way TNG ended with the poker game and that beautiful closure. And I love the way that then they opened it up for the next, the next group, the next generation to to take it on. And I assume there will. I need to know what Seven's catchphrase is. <laughs> this is going to plague me. <laughs> so, for anyone who has not seen this episode, as we know, Picard's phrase was "engage," and so they ask Seven, and she's about to tell them to go what her phrase will be and the camera pans or does a close-up up to her face and as i recall it was almost to her lips it was to which started to which parted parted <laughs> and that ended the episode so the cliffhanger for that phrase is was perfect just perfect oh, in fury i wrote in all caps they did not do that <laughs> that was they real that was really well done and they have set us up for, I knew this was leading to Star Trek for the rest of our lives, but I didn't realize just how great it was going to be to have this crew out now. Yeah, really, I very much find myself looking forward to what they do next with this particular group of people, with Sydney, with Jack, with Rafi, with Seven. I'm looking forward to getting some more to the other rest of the bridge crew who we got to know a little bit over the last couple of episodes. Right. Really cool stuff. And I think I said it the last episode, I felt like we got to say goodbye. Yeah. The original TNG crew. And yeah. that can be very satisfying as a fan, as a customer, as a viewer, whatever we are in this journey, getting to say goodbye to people who are parts of your lives at different parts of your lives, mm -hmm. because we were very different people 30 years ago. Yeah. And, or even between the time of the original TNG series, as we may have watched it in syndication or in reruns, it all always meant something different at a different part of our life. And at this part of point in my life, I found it incredibly poignant to be able to say goodbye to those guys. Yeah, I agree. I like an ending. I believe in endings. And I think this was a really good way to end something firmly and thoroughly and compassionately and beautifully, but also leave the door open for something else. I thought just beautifully done. And yeah, I'm sad to say goodbye, but I think it was just, it feels very right. I can't think of a better phrase to end this podcast and this podcast series on where we've looked at Picard season three. I'm just going to say I'm Tom Fox. And I'm Megan Doherty. This is Tom Fox. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Picard season three as much as Megan and I have enjoyed rewatching it and doing podcasts on it for you. I hope you will join Megan and I in our next series where we take up Firefly. Until then... Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.
This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning Because That's What Heroes Do. I hope you'll join Megan and I again next week when we take up episode three. Also, if you could subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to it, we would greatly appreciate it. Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.